one thing I've learned in nine years of pastoring now is preaching different books is completely different. Uh, the books of the Bible are probably as different as your children are, when you think about it that way. Uh, they're all your kids, but they are very, very different, and you have to, you have to work with them differently, and the books of the Bible uh, are very different. Uh, Proverbs is going to be a lot different. I've never taught uh, the book of Proverbs. I've read through the book of Proverbs many times. I've got a lot of notes on the book of Proverbs, so I'm looking forward to that. But Ezekiel was a first time too. And so here we are, these last two chapters. I'm going to pick it up with verse 1 of 47. Uh, a bunch of this we won't read. You can go back and read it on your own. But I really want to read the first 12 verses of 47. Uh, it's a beautiful passage of something that is coming, and we'll look at what the spiritual implications of this are even to us today. Starting with verse 1. Ezekiel 47, then he brought me back to the door of the temple, and there was water flowing from under the threshold of the temple toward the east, and from the front of the temple faced east. Uh, the temple was, uh, the water was flowing from under the right side of the temple, south of the altar. And he brought me out by the way of the north gate, and he led me around on the outside to the outer gateway that faces east, and there was water running on the right side. And when the man went out to the east with a, uh, with a line in his hand. He measured 1,000 cubits, and he brought uh, me through the waters. And the water came up to my ankles. And he measured 1,000 and brought me to the waters, and the water came up to my knees. He measured 1,000, he brought me through, and the water came up to my waist. And he measured 1,000, and it was a river, so that I could not cross, for the water was too deep, water in which one must swim, a river which could not be crossed. And he said to me, Son of man, you, have you seen this? Then he brought me and returned me to the bank of the river. And when I returned there, along the bank of the river were many trees on one side and on the other. And then he said to me, the water flows toward the eastern region, goes down into the valley, enters the sea. When it reaches the sea, its waters are healed. And it shall be that every living thing that moves, wherever the river goes, will live. There will be a very great multitude of fish, because these waters go there. For they will be healed, and everything will live wherever the river goes. It shall be that the fishermen, fishermen will stand by it from Engedi to Englam, and there will be place, a place for spreading their nets. Uh, their fish will be as the same kind of fish of the great sea, exceedingly many. But its swamps and marshes will not be healed. They will be given over to salt. Along the bank of the river on that side and uh, on this side and that uh, will grow all kinds of trees used for food. Their leaves will not wither. Their fruit will not fail. They will bear their fruit every month because their water flows from the sanctuary. Their fruit will be for food, and their leaves will be for medicine. And then in verses 13 through, uh, 13 through 23 is the borders of what will be the nation-state of Israel during the time of the millennium. I'm not going to read all that, but look at verse uh, 21 and 20, verses 21 and 22. Thus you shall divide this land among yourselves according to the tribes of Israel. It shall be that you will divide it by a lot as inheritance for yourself and for the strangers who dwell among you, who bear children among you. They shall be to you as native-born among the children of Israel. They shall be an inheritance with you among the tribes of Israel. And so we see uh, just a return of uh, what was in Leviticus. We'll look at that, that as well, uh, the way that these Gentiles will be treated if they choose to live there. Then we in verse, and then in chapter 48, uh, starting verse 1, now these are the names of the tribes from the northern border 
and all the way down it goes to the 12 tribes as well as we have uh, the place for the princes. You see that, uh, for example, in verse 21, uh, the place for the temple. We've gone through these before. This is somewhat uh, repetitive, but the holy, the holy district, uh, the priestly area, the area for the prince. If you've been here with us, we've gone through each of these things, the area for the Levites, uh, who they don't specifically have any land. The 12 tribes do, but yet they have a, a district that's for them. And then uh, in verses 30 through 35, uh, this would be new information. These are, the, uh, these are the exit of the city on the north side, measuring 4,500 cubits. And the gates of the city shall be named the 12 tribes. And so on each of the gates, uh, the three gates northward, you see Reuben, Judah, and Levi. Then on the south, um, we have Joseph, Benjamin, and Dan, verse 33. Um, I'm sorry, though, on the east. Then on the south, uh, we have... Simeon, Issachar, and Zebulon, and then on the west uh, we have Gad, Asher, and Naphtali, and then the finishing verse uh, for the entire book of Ezekiel, verse 35, all the way around shall be 18,000 cubits. The name of the city from that day shall be, the Lord is there. The Lord is there. Isn't that pretty? Let's pray. Lord, we ask for your spirit to be here. We know that you are, you inhabit the praise of your people as we were worshiping and we pray now, Lord, we know that you love when your word is read, when your word is proclaimed. Even things that we might not understand fully now, we pray, Lord, that they would still sink deep within our hearts and, Lord, you would just give us spiritual eyes to see. We pray that uh, even tonight as we look at these waters, we would be refreshed by the waters of your spirit here together, and it's in your name we pray, amen. Well, if you're taking notes, you see the title of our final study in Ezekiel, Healing Waters and the Set-Apart Land, this land that we'll actually look at how the tribes are delineated, so you'll get a chance to see what that looks like. Um, Thankfully, others have done the map work for me and uh, have studied these things over the years. Uh, But we want to start with um, these waters in the first, uh, first 12 verses. I want to start there and take a look at uh, what, what these waters might mean uh, to us today and, and certainly what they'll mean uh, in the future as well. Now, the waters uh, that are going to be flowing from the temple, I want to take a look at what he says, where the waters will be coming from. Uh, so today, if you go to Israel and you go under the, um, uh, you go under the city walls, uh, when we were there, we did the the tour at night, and we went way under the city, and it's all, you know, they have lights there, and you're, you're deep under the city in these narrow chasms, and uh, you'll, you'll actually see when you get to one area, big pools of water that are under the city, and, there's, and it's believed to be considerably more water down there uh, in further depths. But at any rate, when, when this temple, when God puts the new temple there, uh, under the sanctuary itself, a spring is going to flow, and the angel here, he keeps saying the man with the linen, it's an angel that's telling him and leading him around and showing him uh, the lay of the land. Uh, so he says that the, the origin of the water is from under the sanctuary, but it is south of the altar. So you can see there's, this is the uh, north gate up there, you can't see it, south gate here, that's the east gate. 
And so the water will flow from under the sanctuary, a perpetual spring, rivers of living water. Sound familiar? Rivers of living water will just keep flowing, never stop flowing from that spot, and it'll run south of the altar, and then it'll go south of the east gate, and then it will continue on all the way to what would be today uh, the Rift Valley there where the Jordan where the Jordan River comes down from the Sea of Galilee and runs into the Dead Sea. Now turn in your Bibles for just a second um, over to Zechariah. So go move right in your Bibles. Ezekiel, Daniel, Hosea, Joel, Amos, Obadiah. Keep going until you get to Zechariah. Zechariah chapter 14. And just as a reminder... Uh, the, the valley is described here by the angel, uh, but I believe that uh, the valley is also described in Zechariah 14. Look at Zechariah 14.4. We've talked about this before, but it's been a few weeks. In Zechariah 14.4, and it says, In that day his feet will stand on the Mount of Olives, which faces Jerusalem on the east. The Mount of Olives shall be split in two from east to west, making a very large valley. Right? Half the mountain shall move north, half the mountain shall move south. And then uh, back in chapter 1 here, he speaks of this valley and the fact that the waters uh, from un- under, the temp- uh, under the temple will actually flow through the valley all the way out to the sea. So again, if you're facing east towards the Mount of Olives, exactly what Zechariah says, you're facing the Mount of Olives, it's The mountain splits, it moves north and south. Then a big valley would actually go straight through the Mount of Olives, and it says it would go east, and exactly where the water, both Ezekiel and Zechariah match up perfectly because the water would actually flow straight through the Mount of Olives, right by the east gate, all the way to the Dead Sea. And uh, before we look at uh, what these waters will do in the actual uh, sea itself, Look at, draw your attention to verses 3 through 4, uh, actually 3 through 5, where he says uh, there's, there's this very specific progression where the angel allows the waters to first go to his ankles, then it goes to his knees, then it goes to his waist, and then the water becomes so deep it would be over the head, complete immersion, right? Think about it. Darts at the ankles, but it's a very slow progression, and it's, and it's n- n- nothing in the Bible is ever there by accident. It's all exactly the way God wants us to understand. So what can we glean from uh, what is being said about these waters? Well, take a look here. The ankles are what we walk on. If a shattered ankle, you're not going anywhere. If strong ankles, your strength to walk is the Holy Spirit. If you're saved, these waters are actual waters, literal waters, but they're also a picture of the spiritual waters. Right? Jesus will lead us beside still waters. Out of you will flow, he said, rivers of living water. Without the water of the Holy Spirit... You can't, you can't walk the Christian life. You would need to give up tonight because you would go back to the world. Your Bible would become dead and boring. 
You'd have no real reason to gather with other believers because you wouldn't have any interest in it whatsoever. It is not our super spiritual desires that keep us walking. It's the Holy Spirit in us that keeps. Now, you can quench the Spirit, you can resist the Spirit, and, uh, and then you'll have no life of the Spirit. But, well, that's why you want to read things like Matthew chapter 25. Someone lives an entire life like that, then you've got a different problem. But if you have the Holy Spirit and you are saved, your walk desperately needs the Holy Spirit. My walk desperately needs the Holy Spirit. There's no way that any of us can walk in this world and continue to stay faithful to Christ and continue to resist the enemy and continue to do his work instead of our own work without the Holy Spirit. That's the walk. Then we have, it goes up to the knees. What happens on the knees? Prayer. Jesus would kneel go and to spend time before the Father, and it's an example for us that we need to pray in the Holy Spirit. Ephesians 6.18, praying always with all prayer and supplication, it says, Paul writes, in the Spirit. Um, I, I need the Holy Spirit in my prayer life. You need the Holy Spirit in your prayer life. If you didn't have the Holy Spirit, even groaning and utterings that we're not even aware of at times, we would just pray amiss that the Holy Spirit guides our prayers. And we need uh, to have the faith that comes by praying in the Holy Spirit. You know, the more we pray in the Spirit, the, the deeper our faith is, the more confidence we have in the Lord. Then we have the waste, service in the Spirit. Where does this come from? Remember when Jesus went to wash the disciples' feet? The Bible said he girded his what? Waste. He girded about him because it's a picture, the waste is a picture of service. Anyone who's saved that doesn't serve the Lord, well, they would be in rebellion to the Lord because this is part of our calling. We're called to walk in the Spirit. We're called to pray in the Spirit. We're called to serve in the Spirit. But again, if you don't serve in the Spirit, this is where people burn out and flame out because it's in the flesh. It's in the flesh. Many saints before us would have given up a long time ago. Many of them have dealt through far more difficult walks of faith. If you've read any kind of the biographies or uh, any of the uh, saints that have gone before us, you'll know that uh, without the Spirit, nobody would have ever gone as far as they had gone. And then lastly, we see the depth. He says, then the water, in verse 5, it becomes so deep that one must swim across it. This is the overflow of the Holy Spirit. Now, in the principle of duality in Scripture, that that verses mean multiple things at the same time, uh, we certainly can see the picture here that that water baptism is visible here because you would have full immersion here as opposed to just kind of up to the ankles or up to the knees. Uh, I'm not here to, you know, if you you know someone that that, uh, is adamant of different types of baptisms, that's not the debate here tonight. Uh, the point is that this water is deep, that it would be, he- it would be over the head, um, and it would, it would look like full immersion, which is exactly what, when Jesus went down to the waters of John the Baptist in the Jordan, he's fully immersed. But aside from just water baptism, it really speaks here of Jesus when he goes back to heaven. He says, you wait, and I'm going to send power from on high. You'll be baptized with the overflow 
of the Holy Spirit. Everyone that's ever come to Christ receives the indwelling of the Holy Spirit, uh, but I do believe that Scripture teaches of a second work or a full immersion of the Spirit where we have to continue to be uh, have the Spirit coming upon us, immersing us. And that's where we have a power. That's where we have a witness. That's Acts chapter 1-8, when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, Jesus says. Now he's speaking to his disciples that already had the Holy Spirit in them. But when the Holy Spirit comes upon you, and so you see this progression, right? Ankles, knees, waist, overflow. These are the waters. Now there's some more about the waters here we want to take a look at. He then moves on to what the waters, the, the impact the waters have on the land around them. And you think about what is the impact that the waters of the Spirit should have on us that we would have on the land around us. That the waters of the Holy Spirit flow not only in us and impact us, our ankles, our knees, our waist, our head high, our fill with the Holy Spirit, but what would, the, what would the waters of the Holy Spirit, how would they flow through us to impact the land around us, the Chesterfield around us, the Richmond around us, uh, the, uh, the cities or uh, communities in which we live in? Well, let's take a look at these trees. First, the, there's as many trees... He sees that, uh, he says, Son of man, have you seen, verse 6, uh, then he returned uh, return to me, and at the bank of the river, verse 7, I returned there along the bank were very many trees, one on one side, one on the other. So the water is feeding the growth of these trees. These trees are springing up on both sides of the bank. Now this is common if you go to, in my yard, we have a river birch, which we planted specifically where we have constant water comes down from uh, higher elevations. I believe there's springs under underground water, and that thing grows like a weed uh, getting the water. And River birches love that. They'll get themselves all the way down inside the river. But these are other kind of trees, and they're not just river birches. Apparently, as we take a look at, they're fruit-bearing. So these trees uh, aren't just uh, trees that look nice. They actually have a lot of other uh, qualities fruit being one of them. But the many trees represent the many saved lives of those that are fed by the Holy Spirit. Um, If someone doesn't have the Holy Spirit, Paul wrote in Romans, if someone hath not the Spirit of Christ, he's not of Christ. That's what Paul said in Romans. Anyone hath not the Spirit of Christ, he's not Christ. In other words, he doesn't belong to Christ. If the Holy Spirit's not there, there is no salvation. But the trees represent people that have been redeemed. In Psalm 92, 12, one of my favorite verses, we actually have a little uh, canvas painting of this up in our house. It's uh, Psalm 92, 12, the righteous shall flourish like a palm tree and shall grow like a cedar in Lebanon. So the righteous are compared to trees. Now Jesus did this as well. He said that good trees bear good fruit. And so he compares the believer to a good tree that bears good fruit. So trees as representative as the children of God is the imagery that we see in both the Old and the New Testament. Then we see the healed, uh, the healed waters. So the waters not only do they feed the roots of these trees and they cause the trees to grow, just like the Holy Spirit caused the new believer to grow, we also see the healed waters. And that starts in verse 8, the waters flow toward the eastern region through that valley that we, that we talked about through the Mount of Olives. And when it reaches 
the sea, its waters are healed. Now, if you go to the Dead Sea now, uh, if you were to drink that water, I can't remember what they told us. You'd probably die. I don't remember. But I know this. They told us to take all the jewelry off, and, and, uh, and you really, it is so heavy with minerals, you do float in it. You, tr- you really can sit there and read a magazine like you're sitting in a chair. Uh, it's a really cool feeling. Uh, it feels like uh, oil. It feels like baby oil. When you, tr- when you get out, that's what it feels like. All the minerals have uh, some kind of oily substance in them. But nothing lives in the Dead Sea. I mean, fish die the second you put them in it. I mean, they, one thing to the gills, they're gone. So there's no living organisms. Uh, well, actually, way, way down at the bottom, I think they found some kind of weird little plankton something or other. But, and God you know, has... And they, we've seen that at the bottom of the ocean floor, too, where, where lava's coming up. There's strange little things. But for all intents and purposes, the fish that live in the Mediterranean, the fish that live in the Sea of Galilee, those fish and any other kind of living creatures, nothing grows in the Dead Sea, and you can't drink the water. I mean, it's, it's poisonous. It is pure, uh, you know, but they do make, um, they do dry it out, and it's, it's actually ends up being good for, um, you know, for farming, and then they'll use it as fertilizer, and uh, so it has some uh, value there, but not actually in the water whatsoever. Uh, but the healed waters, what do they, what do they um, speak to? Well, they are the the many broken lives, many of the broken lives that are healed by sin, are healed from sin uh, and death and guilt and despair. Uh, the healing waters that come into lives that are just uh, a broken mess. And it's not just fresh water. It's not just fresh water we're talking about here. It's healing water. And understand the difference because the Jordan River today brings fresh water into the Dead Sea. Jordan Ritter already brings dead, already brings fresh water. It has fresh water coming straight down out of the Jordan, right into the Sea of Galilee. That fresh water hits the Jordan and dies. It doesn't heal the Dead Sea. No, it needs more than just fresh water. More is needed in people's lives than just a fresh start. More is needed in people's lives than just a little bit of religion. Right? Just a change of habits. Well, maybe I should make some New Year's resolutions. More is needed than fresh starts. New, uh, yeah. Let's try. Well, maybe you ever hear people say, "I just need to move." I've heard that. I just need to move to another state, or I just need to. You're still with you, <laughs> wherever you go. Most of our problems are really are us. They're not everyone else around us. We can talk ourselves till we're blue in the face that it's everyone else around us, but it's almost always us. Almost always. Every now, I mean, persecuted Christians and things like that around the world, they, they, they have their, they're disqualified from that statement. But most of the time, it's us. And so even if we're safe, we need more than just, tomorrow I'm going to do it right. We need the Holy Spirit, Right? Not tomorrow, I'm just going to do it right. You won't just do it right unless you have the Holy Spirit. And of course, you won't have salvation unless more than just fresh water comes in, healing water comes in. Ephesians 5.26, that he might sanctify and cleanse her with the washing of the water by the word. I mean, you can take a nasty jar of sewer water and pour some fresh water in it. It did not change, it might change a tiny bit, but you still wouldn't drink it. 
you need it to be completely, you need water into wine kind of change, right? Where Jesus completely changes the composition. And that's what these healing waters will do. And it says because they come from the sanctuary. Where do our healing water come from? The sanctuary of God's throne. Jesus himself. He gives living water. He said to the woman at the well, he goes, you drink of that water, you're going to thirst again. You drink of the water I give, you'll never thirst again. I will cleanse you from all the things. She didn't understand what he was talking about. Where can I buy this water? He said, no, 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 you're, you're missing the point. This water comes down out of heaven. So it's not just uh, fresh water. It has to be healing water. And this is good to remind people. Maybe, maybe God locks that in your head so when you're talking to someone, you realize, man, they're talking about fresh water, but they really need healing water. Next thing, the life in the sea. Every life touched by the Spirit's water is healed. If the Spirit really touched the life, they really are healed. They really are changed. They really are transformed. They really are, as the New Testament tells us, any man being Christ, he is a new creation. Old things are passed away. Behold, all things are becoming New. I would never, I've said this before, but I haven't said it in a while, so it's bears saying again. I would never have thought that I would be standing here on a Wednesday night if you'd have talked to me 25 years ago. Yeah, it, would, it would not have crossed my mind. I couldn't think of a more boring thing to be doing on a gorgeous night like tonight than be here. If I was, if I was unsaved and God had come, you know, I mean, riding in, I would have been thinking like, man, there's 8 million things I could do tonight. So nice out. But, you know, the scriptures say redeeming the time because the days are evil. You will never, when you get to heaven, say, man, ah, I cannot believe I wasted that Wednesday night. You'll never say, you'll say, you might say it in the flesh now, but you'll never say it in heaven. You will have said, man, I'm glad I skipped cutting the grass to, to, to be with Jesus. Remember Mary and Martha? Right? One of them's vacuuming, cleaning, all the other stuff. Right? Jesus said, she's chosen the better part, right? To sit at my feet. But only the Holy Spirit would change us that way. That we would have his desire. He puts his heart in us. And then we see in the sea life here, all these fish that that, that formerly can't live. Not only do the fish live... But it says that many fish, look at verse 10, it shall be that the fishermen will stand by in Gedi. Uh, we went to in Gedi there, right on the, uh, right on the what would be the um, western side of the Sea of Galilee. Uh, in the places we're spreading that, the fish will be the same kind. It talks about there'll be many, uh, many fish, a multitude of fish, verse 9. What did Jesus tell Peter he would become? A fisher of... Men. This is also a picture that God wants a multitude of fish that otherwise would be dead to be alive. Why do you have the little fish on the back of the car? We talked about really the, the origin of that with the persecuted church, and uh, they would use the term Maranatha to each other. But this is a picture, too, of that God wants us all to be fisher of men, that there would be a multitude of fish that we would be spreading and casting our nets out to bring in many fish that are now living. 
Pretty cool stuff, huh? All that is in the Old Testament, which I believe is pointing to the New Testament. Take a look at the next thing. We don't have much time, so let's work our way through. Magic touch. Twan says this only happens to me, and I believe he's probably right. Those of you that have electronics, you have something in your life that does the same. I'm sure of it. Mine happens to be the clicker. There we go. I just got way too far. There we go. Uh, last quick thing on, the, on the, uh, the waters here. The trees bearing fruit. It's not just that God wants us to be a tree that is flourishing, but Jesus says, where's the fruit? Remember he saw the fig tree and there was no fruit? cursed the tree. It died. Said the trees that don't bear fruit are bundled up in a pile of sticks and thrown into the fire. Because the mark of a believer is fruit. But it doesn't mean that leaves are um, unimportant. Uh, If you only had leaves, that would be problematic. But we have fruit and leaves here. And the leaves are mentioned as well. And the leaves are for healing. And I think that uh, the fruit is that Evidence of the Holy Spirit, but the leaves, remember that, uh, that Adam and Eve, they tried to cover themselves with fig leaves. Not figs, they tried to cover themselves with fig leaves. And fig leaves represent, or, or any kind of leaves, they represent works. But good works really are valuable when someone is bearing fruit. Case in point, if the team that goes to Guatemala, if we're filled with the Holy Spirit... Well, that's the fruit of the spirit of joy, big smile, love, hugs for kids. Those are, those are fruits of the spirit that are flowing from your life. But the service, the leaves of actually putting medicine on a wound or water for someone who needs water or an immunization shot or something like that, well, those are leaves, but they still have a healing property. in another. So the world does a lot of things that have leaves. Red Cross, right? United, United Way. The world does a lot of leaves things but they can't produce fruit things. That makes sense? But together, they're very valuable. A Christian that is a fruit-bearing Christian that also is girding their waist and has leaves of service, those are good. They go hand in hand. But if you only had leaves, then you're just the United Way. But if you have leaves and fruit, you're Calvary Chapel of Richmond or so-and-so Baptist Church or so-and-so, you know, the, the body of Christ. So it's important that we, that we have both. Uh, we actually see this same picture in Revelation 22, 2. It says, in the middle of the street on either side of the river was the tree of life. Now, that's not mentioned here. The tree of life isn't mentioned, but the tree of life is in Revelation 22, which bore 12 fruits. Each tree yielded its fruit every month, and the leaves of the tree were for the healing of the nations. Now, there's some other healing properties here, too, that Jesus was nailed to a tree. The tree he was nailed to was... There was no fruit on that tree. It was, it was a hard, rugged cross. But his blood, his blood is for the healing of the nations too. And as he was on the tree there, he himself uh, becomes the tree of life. The cross itself, a dead tree, becomes the living tree, if you will, that we find salvation in. And these, uh, you know, 
All of what these leaves mean, I can't tell you. No one else can tell you. Some of this is mysterious stuff that we'll find out uh, when we get there with the Lord. Now, it is interesting, too, for those of you that like uh, uh, health food and organic and homeopathic and all that stuff, they mentioned the leaves here. And there really are a lot of healing properties in leaves, so it, uh, I just find that somewhat interesting, but I'm not here to preach a homeopathic message or anything like that. Just That's more of an interesting footnote. All right, let's look at the next few things as we roll through here. The borders. Uh, the borders here, not going to talk about it. It's easier to probably show you than talk about them. So the borders are mentioned, and these borders give you an idea. Uh, today, Israel has a little bit of the Golan Heights right here. The Golan Heights. But all this is Syria, and then part of this is Jordan. So you have kind of a Syria-Jordan mix there. And then, again, the Golan Heights is up in this area. But in the millennium, the land will go to the Jordan River all the way down to the Dead Sea, which will not be dead then. It'll be a living sea. Call it the living sea. And then over here, we have uh, an extension where Manasseh was and the other tribes before the fall of the northern kingdom, and then later the Babylonian conquest in five uh, or six, 600 years before the time of Christ. And so then all of this will be part of Israel again, which today it's, it currently is not today. That it would be Syria and Jordan. And so these are the borders. What the other nations exactly will be, uh, we don't know, but most of them seem to still be Egypt will be Egypt apparently, and uh, Jordan will be Jordan, apparently, so most of those nations will still exist, but uh, their borders will change because Israel's borders will change their borders. Or not so much the case of Egypt, but obviously uh, perhaps Lebanon, Jordan, and Syria. Their borders would change because of Israel's borders. And it says that it goes all the way uh, between Damascus, and so you've got Damascus today. I'm not, I don't have my glasses on. You guys can see better than me, but uh, Damascus is up there to what would be uh, the northeast. And then it mentions, as I met, uh, mentioned in verse 22, uh, about the stranger in the land. Uh, this goes back to Leviticus chapter 19. So something that was given to Moses, it says in Leviticus 19.34, the stranger who dwells among you shall be to you as one born among you, and you shall love him as yourself. For you were stranger in the land of Egypt. I am the Lord your God. This is an important thing even the day we live in. There's people that just rail against every uh, illegal that's in the United States and, and all that stuff. And, uh, you know, I would just be, you know, we, we need to be a nation of laws, but I also would be careful not to rail against human beings because the heart of God shows something different. So I don't know, again, those are, those are tricky, really just um, the... They're kind of conditions of the fall, that because we have a fall, we have a lot of countries with a lot of problems and people just running just to try and save their kids and, and just to try and live. And I, and I understand that. And I think from a Christian perspective, we need to understand laws are important, but we also understand lives are equally important. Well, they're more important, actually. Um, but uh, it's just one of those things that God does speak to it, the stranger who dwells among you will say, well, they, they probably weren't a legal stranger. They probably come through the right process. How do you know? Were you there? I wasn't there. 
I don't know what process. If they were running from their lives from, let's say, someone had slaughtered their village and they were running to Israel to find someone that would actually take them in. I understand the terrorism and all the other stuff, but uh, again, this is, this is really just God's heart cares for people. So I guess what I, what I believe is if we care for people, God will fix all the other stuff. You agree with that? If we care for people, God will fix things. But we ultimately, it's important, it's important that we understand uh, that you know, laws and safety, I, I agree with those things. But also, um, oh, again, if, I, if I'm riding down the road, because I had this happen one time. I told you all when I was riding down the road and I had a day off, and the Lord told me to pick up this guy that was hitchhiking. I had zero, and I mean zero interest in picking this guy up. But the Holy Spirit, I was living in Charlotte, North Carolina at the time, and I had to do a U-turn like three miles down, go back, and when, I, when he got in the car, he had like snot running down his face. He was like a skinny 19-year-old kid that looked like he had, I don't know if, if he uh, had been doing drugs. I mean, he, he didn't smell good. I mean, the whole nine yards. I don't know if he belonged in this country, didn't belong in this country. I don't know if he belonged on this planet. And yet God told me to pick him up, and he ended up getting saved. So, but I had no knowledge about him, and it's not a wise thing. I'm, I have three girls. I'm not telling them, hey, you should start picking up stretch hikers because it worked for me once. It was a Holy Spirit thing. We're led by the Spirit. We're led by the Spirit. So God may say, you might be down on the border of Texas, and God may say, that mom right there, grab her, because if you don't, she could be raped tonight. What if God told us that? Well, I can't do that because she has no business being there. Do you see the, di- you see the Holy Spirit? With, that's the difference. And so I'm saying that uh, when we look at this passage about uh, the stranger among you, even, even in the millennium, God speaks again to it when there's even no sin. He speaks to it. Just kind of interesting that God makes sure that's in there. All right, chapter 48 as we come to a close here. Uh, the land, this is, uh, this is where the, how the tribes are segmented. So we look at the same, kind of the same map, but way easier to look at. And we've got the different tribes here, Dan, Asher, Naphtali, All the way down, you can see that uh, right here is the, the holy district. You've got Judah right above it here. Benjamin. And then, uh, so right in, right in there is the temple. Right dead center of that area there. The temple's right here in that area. And then you've got the sons of Zadok, the priesthood that are there. You've got the Levites up in that little ear, and then the P on both sides, that's the prince, which could be King David himself. That's what this text says, but whether it's one of David's descendants, we don't know. But then you've got the city is right there, and on either side of the city, for you people that love to grow your own plants, that's farming area right there on both. The city has land for growing plants right on both sides of the city, so uh, the farm to market right there. You've got all that going on. And in the other areas will have their own, they'll have all their own agricultural. Each tribe will have its own agricultural areas as well. But, but the city, uh, unlike putting a central park, they don't grow 
wheat in Central Park. There's nothing, uh, they might have some little flower. I think they actually do have some tiny little garden areas in Central Park. But for the most part, Central Park is for rollerblading and concerts and reading books and stuff like, and laying on blankets and all that kind of stuff. But it's not to feed the city of New York. Whereas this city will actually have an agricultural area uh, as well as the city itself. And of course, it has the Holy Temple area. And so that's the, lay, that's the layout of the tribes. And you see, uh, the, the, it, unlike the previous tribes that were kind of, uh, kind of looks like our states. You know, how, how, did, how did they come out? Although, other than the rivers, I can't figure out how do we pick this for the shape or whatever, things like that. These have these straight lines, you see, uh, real segmented there. And so those, that's the land, how the breakup break of the land is. And then we have the mention of the gates, the mention of the city gates. Um, here in the gates, uh, starting in verse 30 through 32, uh, remember that the temple, don't get the two confused, the temple has how many gates? Three. The city has how many gates? Four. The temple... The temple is in the dead center of the holy area of the priesthood. The city was just beneath that. The city has four gates, north, east, south, and west, but the temple only has three gates, north, south, and east. There is no western gate for the temple. There's the western building on that backside of the temple. and then So temple has three gates, but the city has four gates. And at the four gates, each three... Um, there's the names of three of the tribes on each of the four gates. And so up here on the north, you've got Reuben, Judah, and Levi right there. Gad, Asher, Naphtali on the western gate, eastern gate. And you see the different tribes. So each one of them have three. And this may correspond, remember Jesus told the apostles, you will sit on 12, uh, 12 thrones and judge the 12 tribes of Israel. This may be, I'm not saying that it is, but this could be at each of these gates because in the ancient cities, the, the leaders would have thrones near the gates. And so there may be three thrones at each gate, and that could be where the 12 apostles sit, each of them governing over one of the 12 tribes. The prince has the whole of the country, and then they would have the 12 tribes. So it's possible that they would sit by the city gate. We see even that in, in all, all the ancient societies, um, Lot and uh, the leaders of the city by the city gates, that was common. So it's possible these 12 thrones could be located there, but really uh, we don't know. So that's the gates, and um, again, don't confuse them with the temple that only has the three gates. And then lastly, the city itself... And you saw the, there's the city right there, but the city itself, uh, that's a picture of Jerusalem today that's kind of, I just washed it out. But um, what will Jerusalem look like then? We don't know. But we do know this, the name will be called something that's never been called before. Um, it doesn't mean necessarily that the name Jerusalem is no longer its name just like Jesus has more than one name, right? You can call New York, New York. You can call it the Big Apple. We both know who you're talking about, right? But Jerusalem may stay 
Jerusalem, but it inherits by the God gives it this new name as well. And then we see this uh, in the Bible as well. Like Jacob is sometimes called Jacob, and Jacob is sometimes called Israel. Peter is sometimes called Peter, and sometimes he's called Simon. And it always means Simon, Peter. It always means the same guy, and Jacob means Israel, and Israel means Jacob. But this name is not a name that Jerusalem had been called before. And it's given this name called the Lord is here, and it means Yahweh Shema. Yahweh Shema, the Lord is here. What we see takes what takes place is this is just someone's rendering of this new city. We have no idea what it what it will look like, but uh, with this new city, Israel finally realizes. Understand, this is God keeps His promises. We have broken promises this week. Probably most of us in here have broken some promise somewhere along the way. Hey, I'll pick up the kids at 5. It's 5.18. That's not 5. Maybe close. But we all miss things. But God keeps his promises. And so Israel will, will see the fulfillment of the Abrahamic covenant and Genesis 14. They'll see the fulfillment of the priestly covenant in Numbers chapter 25. The fulfillment of the Davidic covenant in 2 Samuel chapter 7. And the new covenant in Jeremiah 31. All will be fulfilled. All the nations would be blessed, as God said, through you, Abraham. All the nations of the world will be blessed. The priesthood will be serving under the Lord, uninhibited by people trying to chase them down or, uh, or the people trying to convince them to turn to idolatry. The Davidic covenant, all of these things, the new covenant, all will be fulfilled. And this name, Yahweh Shema. Reminds me of Psalm 33, 12. Blessed is the nation whose God is the Lord. The Lord he has chosen as his own inheritance. That the city really will belong to God. This won't be like any city the world has ever seen before. Most cities you go in now, they tell you, now here's the part you don't go into. Here's the part that you know on the map. You venture into this, you may not come out alive. It doesn't matter if it's Rio, doesn't matter if it's Paris, doesn't matter if it's Tokyo, New York, Stockholm, anywhere in the world. Hey, don't go here. You, you might not live to tell about it. But not this city. The Lord is here. You see the rainbow. His banner over the city will be love. You won't even be able to enter into the temples we talked about before. Uh, the temple's not in the actual square of the city, but the temple can't enter the temple unless you have a relationship with God. This will be different. This city won't be called... Vegas is called Sin City. This is called the Lord is here. What a difference. Satan's city, God's city. What a difference. Amazing difference. Satan won't even be on the earth during this time. He'll be chained for this thousand years. He'll be in the bottomless pit. Uh, nobody will be able to say, the devil made me do it. The city will be clean, the city will be crime-free, the city will be ruled by righteous men. You'll have men like the apostles. Can you imagine, instead of going to today's judicial system, going to one of the apostles to have your problem resolved? You're going to get a load of wisdom, right? You're also going to get called out if you're making something up, too. You're going to see right through it. 
because they'll have the Holy Spirit leading and guiding. But what a day uh, that will be. I'm looking forward to being there. But hey, until we get there, back to the first few verses, until we get there, let the Holy Spirit be watering your walk. Let the Holy Spirit be watering your prayer life. Let the Holy Spirit be watering uh, your service. Now, don't serve in the flesh. You'll become bitter. You'll, you'll become impatient. You'll become bored with it. You'll become burnt out. But if it's the Holy Spirit, you will be refreshed in the service. And then lastly, we want to have the overflow of the Holy Spirit. I pray all the time, Lord, just fill me afresh and anew with the Holy Spirit. Afresh and anew. Let's close in prayer. Father, we thank you again for the blessing of your word. We thank you for these many, many weeks now, over three and a half years in the book of Ezekiel. We pray, Lord, that uh, even verses that we've forgotten, you'll bring back to remembrance at just the right time. Lord, we pray that even these closing words, so much of your word, your closing words are so important. And the Lord is here, Lord, should be representative of our life. The Lord should be present in us. The Lord should be present in this sanctuary. The Lord should be present in this church and in our families. And Lord, we also want to have the healing water of the Holy Spirit flowing through us. Not only, Lord, that we would have our walk solidified, strengthened, and refreshed, but also, Lord, the healing waters that flow through us would bring many other fish to Christ. That we'd be fishers of men that we'd see other trees touched, other people around us. The land would be touched by our lives. Lord, use us individually and collectively as a church body. And it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. You are dismissed.